This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Uber has a courier service called Uber Connect where you can have a package picked up at one location and delivered to another. Drivers don't know what's inside the package, but some suspect they may be being used to transport drugs and other prohibited items. Drivers can cancel deliveries, but some feel compelled to go through with suspicious deliveries for safety concerns, since the customers often have their first name, photo, license plate, and vehicle description. For more on how some of these drivers fear they may be being used as unwitting drug mules, we'll speak to David Ingram, tech reporter at NBC News. What I heard speaking to drivers for Uber is really they're concerned about their safety. So oftentimes they'll drive for multiple apps or multiple services. They'll do passenger rides. And then they're also, they'll also do what's known as Uber Connects. And they will get what they consider to be suspicious requests. So I spoke with one person who was driving for Uber Connect in Arizona. They said they got a request from a customer in order to deliver a package from one motel to another motel at 1 a.m. Okay, red flag uh, one. They thought that was suspicious. Yeah, yeah, one and one and two, really. And <laughs> they dropped off the package. It didn't seem like there was much in it. And they dropped it off to somebody who appeared really nervous. And they decided, you know, based on that and some other factors, they decided to stop driving first for Uber Connect and then for Uber altogether. So these drivers all have kind of wild stories about the kinds of things they're being asked to deliver at the times of day. You know, one person said that they had a DVD, a single DVD case they were asked to deliver, and it was a Nicolas Cage film. And when the driver shook the case, it seemed to have something in it other than a DVD. So Uber rules prevent them from tampering or opening packages, but clearly, Oscar, their their suspicions are... Are heightened. And in that first example that you were talking about in Arizona, so it was just a plastic bag that they were delivering with a pen, some candy, and a box about the size of two decks of cards that was covered in an excessive amount of tape. So, I mean, these are those uh, telltale signs of it could be something pretty bad in there. And, and as you mentioned, Uber says you shouldn't be opening the packages or tampering with the packages. It reminds me of 
the uh, transporter movies with Jason Statham where, you know, one of the rules is never open the package. You're not supposed to do that. But for a lot of these drivers, that curiosity takes over. You get that sense of like, man, there could be something not right in there. And sometimes they try to look, sometimes they don't. You know, I know a lot of them follow the rules, but we also know that some don't. Yeah, I spoke to one driver in Miami who said that, you know, look, the curiosity just bites her. and She wants to know what's in the package. And so she said she had found cannabis as well as Adderall. And, you know, she knew she was breaking sort of Uber policy. But the phrase that she used was that she thought she was basically being used as a, as a drug mule, uh, which is a common phrase in, uh, for a drug trafficker who's sort of coerced into, into doing that. And she just wanted to know, like, if, if I'm muling, I, what am I going to be muling for? And, you know, these drivers say that they're not paid enough to be hauling around drugs and taking on that risk, whether it's uh, a risk of arrest, uh, whether it's a safety issue. And they feel coerced into making these deliveries because, you know, they could go to the police, but then, and some have done that, of course, but they also say that they're fearful of doing so because by the time they pick up the package and know that it's suspicious from their standpoint, the customer who's handing them the package already has their first name, at least, the make and model of their car, the license plate number, you know, other factors that are given right. to Uber customers. So, yeah, so, I mean, so it, works they're just, afraid. it works just like the regular passenger app. So, yeah, they give you a lot of information, identifying information, so you connect with the right person. And yeah, they have that. You can track how the delivery is being made. Also, you know, if you go to the Uber Connect website, that's one of the big selling points that you can track in real time how your package is getting there. So these people, you know, if they're sending, using the the service for nefarious needs, right, they know when you're going off track. So yeah, the, the, a big safety concern for those drivers and a financial concern too, right? Because some of the drivers were saying, you know, if you keep canceling deliveries or, you know, you get there, you cancel it, whatever it may be, that uh, you can be penalized and you can be dropped from the app, mm-hmm. all, all that stuff. So there's a lot of different concerns floating around. That's right. Yeah. So now Uber, uh, of course, is not the first package delivery service to face this issue. This has been around as long as any package delivery service, really. I mean, UPS and FedEx have dealt with similar issues. U.S. Postal Service continues to deal with these issues all the time. And so in a sense, Uber is just joining a club here. But the drivers also say that they would like to, like Uber, to to take steps to ensure their safety. So uh, drivers, of course, go through background checks. They would like maybe customers who use the service to go through background checks or maybe to limit it to businesses sending packages to customers or to other businesses. So as it stands, this service, you know, anybody can use it to send packages to anybody else. And so yeah. uh, it, there's, there's not a lot of, I mean, there are some safeguards. So I spoke with Uber, people from Uber, and, and you know, their corporate headquarters says that, look, we, you know, we require the customers to check a box on the app that they understand what the rules are. They understand that they're going to not send prohibited items. There's a list of prohibited items. They have teams at Uber who are former law enforcement people who can look into these reports. Uber says they've gotten six requests from law enforcement to help to look into potential drugs on the service. But the drivers that I spoke to said that these precautions the company takes aren't enough for them. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, as far as from uh, the reporting, right, and what Uber was saying, you know, if somebody is caught in violation of this stuff, really the worst that happens is they get removed from the app. You can't really use it much more anymore. Uh, I mean, if they take it through uh, law enforcement and something progresses that way, that's a different thing. But for Uber, they'll just kick you off the app. So, I mean, that's that's a tough one there to swallow. And then some of the drivers have also said that 
they feel the support system for reporting suspicious stuff uh, doesn't uh, really live up to it. Um, you know, one guy in particular said he was transferred 27 times when he was trying to flag something. And, uh, you know, people yeah. on the other side of things just didn't know what to do. Like they didn't know how to approach the situation. They didn't. It's it's um, the people who are answering the phones for support for Uber. You know, they're not the highest paid employees at Uber, of course. And Uber has acknowledged that, in fact, that that in some instances, the, the people who work on their support teams have fallen down, have not met the expectations of the company to help drivers through these kind of sticky situations. You know, these are complicated situations. Asking someone who thinks they're in possession of drugs, should they go to law enforcement to think about their own safety? And, you know, law enforcement may or may not be interested. I did hear from a driver who said that that they were turned away by law enforcement because this is the what the customer, what the driver considered to be suspicious, didn't meet their level of being able to open the package. So there, there's there's that fear too. You know, what if no one listens? You know, what if uh, what if law enforcement um, decides to charge the driver? That may be yeah. unlikely, but uh, drivers are afraid of that as well. Yeah, the the liability question is huge, and for Uber, it seems like the liability for them is pretty low. Right. I mean, they're just connecting clients to a driver. Right. That's kind of what they were talking about uh, when they were uh, the whole discussion around our drivers, employees or they uh, just independent contractors. Right. They're saying we're just a platform connecting people. So the liability for Uber, the platform could be pretty low. But for the driver. Right. They can be mistaken as being part of a situation like that and, and they can still be charged. And, you know, they might have legal bills. Um, you know, there are all kinds of considerations there that they that they don't want to be a part of. Uh, there's an interesting sort of phrase that, that comes up in this context, which is the willful blindness. You know, even if the driver or Uber doesn't know directly that what's in the package is drugs, if they are willfully blind to the idea that the service is being used this way uh, repeatedly, then... Um, you know, legal experts I spoke with said that that the company in particular could could be liable in that case. Um, the government may require Uber, demand that Uber take extra steps to prevent um, the service being used this way. That's to be determined. I did speak with someone from the Drug Enforcement Administration, the federal agency that that um, would handle something like this, and and uh, they're not saying anything at the moment. They declined to comment, uh, but they're certainly aware. Of, of our reporting and and um, and they have looked at similar cases in the past involving FedEx and, and yeah. UPS. So we'll see what comes to that. David Ingram, tech reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to do so. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Finally this week, we'll tell you about the deadliest road in America, US-19, a stretch of highway in Pasco County, Florida. The road has three lanes on both sides with extra turn lanes and a speed limit of 45 to 55 miles an hour making it more like a freeway. The road was definitely not built with pedestrians in mind as crosswalks are few and far between, causing people to often cross wherever they can to access businesses and restaurants along the way. Roads like this are called strodes, meant to be quick thoroughfares through multiple cities, but also share characteristics with smaller streets, places for people to live, shop, and eat, and this combination can be deadly for those on foot. For more on what to know, we'll speak to Marin Kogan, senior correspondent at Vox. US-19 a highway that runs from Erie, Pennsylvania, all the way down to about Clearwater, Florida. So it's a very long highway. And in Florida in particular, there's this one stretch of it in Pasco County, just north of Tampa. It's sort of a suburb of Tampa where it's just an incredibly dangerous road for pedestrians. The reason I got interested in the story is I was looking at a study by a handful of researchers who took all of the government's traffic fatality statistics from 2001 to 2016, and they tried to identify hotspots. So these hotspots were 1,000 meters stretches where six or more people had been killed over two eight-year periods. And what they found is of 60 pedestrian fatality hotspots in the country, seven of them were on this single stretch of road in Pasco County, Florida. So it is an incredibly dangerous road. But as you mentioned, there are roads like this all across the country. I mean, it's places as diverse as New York and Albuquerque and Georgia and Los Angeles. It's, it's all over yeah. the country. So this is a national problem, and it's really reflected by the fact that pedestrian fatalities are on the rise in this country and have been on the rise since the start of the pandemic. And the numbers that you looked out there were from 2001 to 2016. You looked at other numbers, too, just to uh, see if this trend had kept going. And in 2020 and in 2021, we also saw increased deaths. Now, I don't know if that was particularly on this road specifically, but just overall, we were seeing a lot of pedestrian deaths. That's exactly right. So the answer is yes to both of those. So we looked specifically at the data for this particular stretch of road in Pasco County because we wanted to see, as you said, the data only went to 2016. We wanted to see what happened between 2016 and now. And we found that on this stretch of road, at least 48 people have been killed in crashes involving pedestrians since 2017. And then the numbers are also on the rise all across the country. So pedestrian fatalities have been on the rise in this country for the past 10 years, but they really spiked starting in 2020. So 6,700 pedestrians were killed that year. And then in 2021, 7,400 pedestrians were killed by drivers across the U.S. And that is the most pedestrians killed in 40 years in this country. So it's a big, wide road. I think uh, there might be eight or nine lanes across both sides of it. You know, there's a bunch of businesses lining up the, 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 all the sides of the street. So, you know, as people are walking by, hey, I want to go down to that street. Sometimes people run across without going to the crosswalk because since it's such a long stretch of road, 
you know, you can go maybe about half a mile before you hit a crosswalk. And if you need to get to that restaurant or whatever it might be over there, you're going to cut over right now. So describe a little more to us about what this road in particular looks like. So this road, it's something that people who are really interested in traffic engineering and planning call a strode. So a strode is something that's trying to be a road and a street at the same time. A street you can think of as like a place where people shop and live and recreate. And you want ideally traffic to be slow in that space because there's going to be a lot of pedestrians and a lot of businesses. And you want people to be able to safely move around without facing high-speed cars. A road is meant to get cars quickly through through a place from one point to another. So a strode is sort of trying to do both and is the worst of both worlds. So what you have is a lot of cars moving very quickly, multiple lanes of traffic, really open road that encourages drivers to go very fast. And then you have lots of people walking around as well. So as a part of my reporting, I both drove this road and I walked the road. And I will say it's a very different experience to drive than to walk it. You know, when you're walking it, you really feel the extent to which this road was not designed for you to be walking on it. And when you're driving it, you almost feel like, you know, it's hard not to go fast because it's so big and wide open. And the the sort of cues it's giving you as a driver are like, this is open and this is for me to just go as quickly as possible. So there are roads like this all across the U.S. I would definitely encourage people to look for these in their own community, places where there's a lot of commercial development, people walking and also multiple lanes and lots of traffic and people turning. Anytime you have a road like this, you're creating uh, exponential opportunities for drivers to come into conflict with either other drivers or with pedestrians or cyclists. We're talking about US-19 right there in Pasco County in Florida. The speed limit is 45 to 55 miles an hour. That's already pretty fast when you're when you want to figure in pedestrians. But like you just like you said, right, we know people drive so much faster. So, I mean, I'm sure they're hitting 60, maybe even 70 in some stretches where they might not see a lot of congestion. That's absolutely right. And another big part of the story, which I touch on in the piece, is that SUVs and trucks have increased the percentage of them that are on the road over the last 10, 20 years. So there are more people driving SUVs and trucks. And the SUVs and trucks have gotten much bigger. There's a concept called truck bloat, which kind of refers to, you know, the trucks you see that are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And people, you know, buy those for all sorts of reasons. It's very safe for the drivers. It might be very comfortable, might be easy for them to get around. But the unfortunate fact of the matter is those types of vehicles are much more deadly to pedestrians than smaller sedans and, um, you know, economy and compact cars. So you have these much bigger vehicles on the road and they're on these roads that are sort of encouraging them to go faster. If there are a lot of pedestrians around, it sort of creates a perfect storm of danger for the pedestrian. You mentioned that you both drove and walked this stretch of road. Over about a 15-mile stretch, you came across 12 or more signs commemorating people that have died there, people that were in incidents where pedestrians got killed. I mean, that's almost every mile that you would see a little memorial there. And you did get a chance to speak to some people who had lost loved ones. Tell me a little bit about that. I did speak with several people who had lost loved ones. You know, the primary one in my story is a woman named Julie, whose brother Kevin was killed walking the road last year. And, you know, her experience was symbolic of the experience of what many other people faced, which is feeling like this thing that happened, this this death of their loved ones didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen this way. It's, it's the result of designs that are dangerous and then people being reckless and, and not wanting to face face the consequences of their own recklessness. So her family was really devastated by it. 
she told me how it was really hard for the family to gather after they lost her brother. And her mom would even, um, I thought this was really, was really sweet. He was, her brother was cremated and her mom would bring his remains, you know, with her to family events because she couldn't bear to not have him there. I was really moved by that story and just the way that this affects so many people's lives. I know there's uh, always kind of things in the work to add, you know, more stop signs and better lighting and everything. But what do you do when these, uh, some of these roads have already been set out there and, like you mentioned, just aren't designed for pedestrian traffic at all? Yeah, that's a really great question. So there is a, there is a growing sort of body of criticism of the way that our roads are designed by engineers and planners. And there's this growing sense that we need to design roads that take people into account who exist outside of the car. So people who are not just drivers, there are lots of people who can't drive for one reason or another, who may be walking or riding a bike, and we need to make sure that the roads are safe for them too. And that, you know, the design doesn't reflect this idea that the road is only for vehicles and it's for them to go as fast and as quickly as possible. So some of those ideas, there are ways to calm traffic down. There are ways to make cars go slower. We could narrow roads. We could introduce certain road features that will help slow people down. There are speed governors that could be used in cars to help slow people down. And then there's also, you know, questions of infrastructure. What can we add to create safe spaces for pedestrians and cyclists? All of those things, I think, would be tremendously helpful. But the approach we have now is basically like, well, let's just add on another lane and see what happens. Let's just add this one thing and see what happens. That's not really a radical enough approach to change anything. And I think, you know, what you often end up having are these sort of Frankenstein roads where they just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. It doesn't actually solve the problem. It just makes the road bigger. And in some cases, even makes the problem worse. So, I mean, the good news about this is that there are actually a lot of things that can be done. It's finding the political will to change it and to say, you know, this isn't normal. Our pedestrian fatality rates are higher than in other comparable countries. We need to change this and we need to prioritize it. And once we start doing that as a people, I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to make our roads safer. Marin Kogan, senior correspondent at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.